This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. X-1 was one of the premier science fiction programs. It's widely considered among the finest science fiction drama ever produced for radio. We hear adaptations of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field, including Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, and Frederick Pohl. As a matter of fact, Isaac Asimov wrote tonight's story, Nightfall, which first aired in 1955. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus Tonight's story, Nightfall by Isaac Asimov. Ralph Waldo Emerson speculated if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would man believe and adore and perceive for many generations the remembrance of the city of God? This was philosophically interesting. But on the edge of the galaxy, a planet swings on its orbit in a cluster of six suns. These suns hang in the sky above. Never less than two shine down through the entire 23.8 hours of the planet's day. The yellow light has burned down on the planet continuously, into the past, till the mind of man runneth not to the contrary. Theremon was a reporter for the Saro City Chronicle. He covered them all, from the night police beat to politics to the sports pages. And the city editor wanted him to cover the biggest story of the year, perhaps of all time. It was an interview, a particularly difficult interview. But then, since his first days as a cub, Theremon had specialized in difficult interviews. 
It cost him bruises, black eyes, and broken bones, but it had gotten him an ample supply of coolness and self-confidence. He didn't expect violence, though, from an astronomer. You're from that newspaper? Well, you've got a lot of gall coming here. Now, look, Dr. Aton, it's only a job. I've read your paper. You've been writing this observatory for two months now. You've attacked me personally. I have nothing to say to you. Well, this is your chance to get your side into the paper. Look, Dr. Aton, I'll give it to you straight. Two months ago, the observatory issued a press statement that the world was coming to an end. Now, that's the same story the cult of the Book of Revelations had been preaching. Now, when a scientist backs that up, it's news. Our conclusions have nothing to do with the cult. The cult is full of superstition and mysticism. We're scientists. You've got the people pretty angry. It doesn't matter. If I can't get the story from you, I'll have to go somewhere else. Go ahead. The paper can be pretty rough on someone who doesn't cooperate, Dr. Redon. Young man, if you're not out of the observatory within five minutes, I shall call the police. Now get out. The reporter walks down the long hall from the observatory. The light filters through the high, clear story windows. The yellow light of gamma, the brightest of the six suns in the planet's sky. Beta is almost at zenith. Its red light floods the landscape to an unusual orange. The planet's sun, Alpha, is at the antipodes. But now as gamma sinks below the horizon, the red dwarf sun, Beta, is alone, grimly alone. It's a short drive from the observatory to Saro City, and the red light glares from the highway. The Temple of the Cult stands hewn from the solid rock of the Dormite Mountains outside the city, and in the inner courtyard stands Sor, the priest of the cult. Woe to the unbelievers! Their souls will rot with the absence of light. Tell me, Your Reverence, what will happen? What are you waiting for here? The day. The day of the coming. It is written in the book of Revelations. It came to pass the sun beta was alone in the sky. And the world was shrunken and cold. And men did assemble in the public squares and highways. Their minds were troubled. And their speech confused. For the souls of men awaited the coming of the stars. The lip of the cave of darkness passed the edge of Beta, and loud were the cries of men, and there was no light on the surface of the world. And in this blackness there appeared the stars in countless numbers, and in that moment the souls of men departed from them, and their abandoned bodies became even as beasts. From the stars then reached down the heavens flame, where it touched the cities of the world flamed to destruction, so that of man and all the works of man not remained. So it is written. Dr. Sharon, you're the only scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. The hideout? Yes, but the place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people. They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave the records. Survive? Survive what? 
Well, how true it is, I can't say. But the, the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear. And there is a total darkness, and then they say things called stars appear. Of course, men go mad. They, they mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions. Uh, but that's the central idea. But that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There aren't now. Only beta. You mean that there is going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow, that all mankind will go violently insane? What's behind that? Well, for one thing, the history of civilization of the world. We have located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own, all of which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. But is there any scientific theory behind this which would explain it? Well, the University Observatory finished their calculations two months ago. And tomorrow there will be an eclipse of beta so that the planet will become dark. That eclipse comes every 2,049 years. Darkness. And maybe those mysterious stars that no man has seen. And then madness and the end of civilization. And you expect to live through this at the hideout? They plan to photograph the eclipse and leave the records. And then the rest of mankind will know what to expect. But what is there in darkness to drive men mad? Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? Well, no, but I know what it is. It's just no light. Oh. Uh, draw the curtain. Why, what for? If we had four or five suns out there, we might want to cut the light down for comfort, but with only beta... Ah, that's the point. Just draw the curtain and then come here and sit down. All right. can't see you. Feel your way. But I can't see you. I can't see anything. Do you like it? Oh, it's awful. The walls seem... They seem to be closing in on me. I, I, I keep wanting to push them away. All right, all right. Draw the curtain back again. Oh, the light, the light. I... Oh, do you have a drink? Right here. Now, that was just a dark room. Yes, but it wasn't really so bad. You're afraid? Just darkness could do that. This isn't just a metaphysical theory, young man. It's promulgated from observed data. Well, come with me. Where? The locked wall down the corridor. Um... Were you at the Saro City Centennial Exposition two years ago? Uh, I was overseas on assignment. Well, you remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area? Oh, yes. Wasn't there some fuss about that? The uh, anti-vice society had it shut down. Oh, it was shut down, all right. But the Blue Noses had nothing to do with it. That tunnel was nothing but a mile-long passage through darkness. You rode in a little car, and it took 15 minutes to get through. Oh, it was very popular while it lasted. Popular? Well, there's a, there's a fascination to be frightened when it's part of a game. Absence of light is one of the instinctive human fears. People came out of that 15 minutes of darkness shaking and half dead with fear. 
Now, weren't there some deaths? Oh, bad hearts, but that wasn't the big danger. Now, uh, which key is this? Ah. Where are we going? You'll see. No, the uh, heart attacks were actually good for business, but uh, there was something else. Here, I'll show you. I, uh, I want you to see somebody. Latimer. Latimer. No, go away. Latimer, I want you to meet somebody. This is Mr. Perriman. No. No, go away. Hello? He's pushing me. Make him stop pushing me. Go away. I'm not touching him. What's wrong? Latimer is afraid. Aren't you? The walls. They're falling in on me. The walls. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. Let me out. You can't go out, Latimer. It's it's all right. I've got to get out. Let me out. Let me out. Let me out. At... uh, at sleeping period, we have to give him a shot of morphine. Otherwise, he'd bat his brains against the wall. What's wrong with him? Nothing? Nothing but 15 minutes in the darkness of the tunnel of mystery? Oh, that's impossible. One person out of ten came out of the tunnel that way. That's why we had it shut down. But why should darkness do that? It's obvious men cannot exist without light. Longer periods of darkness would obviously be fatal. The scientific theory is that the consciousness of light is necessary for mental activity. Please, doctor, let me outside. Let me out, please. I I can't breathe. They're pushing me. They're always pushing me. I can't stand here. (laughs) Well, there you are, Herman. That's what 15 minutes of darkness will do. Man just wasn't built to operate without light. There are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time more. Just 15 minutes of darkness. Now, look out of that window. Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. Black. Everything black. And, uh... Stars, whatever they are, can you conceive it? Your mind wasn't built for that conception. When the real thing comes, you will go mad, completely and permanently. There is no question of it. Tomorrow, there won't be a city left standing in the world. Why should the cities be destroyed? (laughs) If you were in darkness, what would you want more than anything else? What would it be that every instinct would call for? Light. And how would you get light? I don't know. You'd burn something. They've got to have light. They've got to burn something. And every city in the world will go up in flames. Well, uh, shall we go back to my office, Mr. Theremin, and uh, have another drink? Through the skies, the red sun beta shines alone. The wind howls across the city. It is cold, colder than man can remember. And as the hour approaches, the reporter goes out and speaks to the man in the street. Excuse me, where are you going now? Home for supper. How about, uh, well, I mean, 
What are you going to do tonight? You mean about this star stuff? Look, I'll tell you, mister. I got nothing against religion, see? But it don't stand a reason that the end of the world is going to come boom like that. It just don't stand a reason. Have you read what the scientists say? I don't read stuff like that. Only the headlines. Well, how about the cult? Well, now, like I say, I've got nothing against religion. You don't believe them either. Oh, they've always been shouting about doom and sin. Listen, when you've been around as long as I have, you get to know the score. It's all right to preach judgment day is coming and all that, but huh, just the same, I'm putting money in the bank. How about darkness? About what? How would you feel if there were no light? <laughs> you crazy. How could there be no light? Well, suppose all the suns went down at once. Suppose everything was black. That's crazy. What's the use of supposing something like that? It couldn't happen. It's crazy. That's all. Thank you. Sure, sure. Oh, look, mister, remember, pallet with two L's? All this talk of scientific explanation, it's sinful, that's what it is. Are you a member of the cult, sir? Sure I am. Been a member since I was a boy. My daddy was a member, too. I've seen the books. It's all written down in the books. Don't you believe the scientist's explanation? Don't need it. Going to save my immortal soul. Going to stay on the mountaintop in a white robe while the stars carry him away to glory. Blessed be the stars. Amen. What are the stars? The glory. They're the breath of the heavens. The spirit of the ultimate. That's what they are. The observatory has announced that it intends to take pictures of the stars. Blasphemy. I sold my house. I gave all my money to the poor. Won't need it anymore. I'm going to heaven with the stars. Glory, glory going with the stars. The reporter checks the stock exchange, the stores, business at a standstill. Doesn't pay to buy anything today, not if the world is going to end tomorrow. There are predictions of economic collapse in the financial section, layoffs at the factories on the edge of the city. And through the streets, the people will mill and turn, unsure, crying in fear or shouting with bravado. The story isn't here in the city. And so as the hour approaches, the reporter goes again to the observatory, high in the hill. Uh, look, Dr. Aton, if you are right, if the world is going to be destroyed, what is the difference if I stay here and observe and take notes? Uh, nothing, I suppose. You will be in the way. We have work to do. If I stay out of the way. Hello, hello. Oh, this place is like a mall. It's freezing outside. The wind is enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all, the distance it is. Why aren't you in the hideout, Sharon? Me? <laughs> I'm part of the race that isn't worth perpetuating. Uh, who's got a bottle? We know alcohol today. Be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. All right, Thurman, you can stay. The time we took our positions... The observatory dome is up these stairs. After you. Ah! What is that? Up in the dome, quick. What is it? It's the plates. The photographic plates are all smashed. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> a cultist. He's going for the telescope. After him. All right, I've got him. Let go. No. Let go. must be destroyed. It must be. Uh, it's, all right. it's all right. He didn't harm anything. Let him up. Well, that's the high priest. I was talking to him yesterday. All right. What do you want? Nothing that you would give me of your own free will. I made a bargain with the cult. Give me certain data that you had. 
In return, I promise to prove the essential truth of the creed. There was no need to prove that. It stands proven by the book of Revelations. I offered scientific backing for you, believers. You made of the darkness and the stars a natural phenomenon and removed all its real significance. That was blasphemy. The facts exist. Your facts are a fraud and a delusion. How do you know? I know. I suppose you think in trying to warn the world against the menace of madness, we are placing souls in jeopardy, huh? Well, we haven't succeeded. If that makes you feel better. Your devilish instruments must be destroyed. We obey the will of the stars. Someone call the police in Cerro City. There's no time for that. Uh, let me handle this. The eclipse is only a few minutes away. Look, you. Will you give your word of honor to cause no trouble? I will not. Listen. Just as soon as the eclipse starts, we're going to take you and put you in a closet with the door closed, and you will stay there. Then you won't see the darkness, and you won't see the stars. And that means the loss of your immortal soul, according to the cult. All right. Will you give your word of honor? You have it. You will all be damned for your deeds of today. Look! Look at Beta! The eclipse has started. You can see the blackness against Beta. Get busy on those cameras. Check the exposures very carefully. You're shaking, Mr. Theremin. I don't feel very well. You're not losing your nerve. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not used to it. You could probably make the hideout. I have been assigned to cover a story. I intend to cover it. Oh, professional honor? Yes. Yes. Alasophanet Radrock. Alasophanet. What is that? The cultist. That's the book of Revelations. I don't understand it. He is chanting some old cycle language. The book of Revelations was originally written in it. There are probably two million people in Cerro City who are trying to join the cult. One gigantic revival. How do the cultists manage to keep the book of Revelations going from cycle to cycle? If everyone goes mad, who wrote the book? There are some people who don't see the stars. The blind, those who drink themselves into a stupor, and children, to whom the world as a whole is too new and too strange for them to be frightened at stars and darkness. They would have memories. And that, combined with the confused, incoherent babbling of the mad, formed the basis for the book of Revelations. Oh, the cult will be riding high down there in the city. I, I hope they make the most of it. Dr. Sharon, I, I just heard from the hideout on the private line. Oh, they're in trouble? They are safe, but the city is, is a shambles. You have no idea. Well, it'll get worse. But what are you shaking about, Dr. Aiton? How do you feel? You don't understand. The cultists are rousing the people to storm the observatory, promising them immediate entrance into grace, promising them salvation, promising them anything. How long till the total eclipse? An hour. Well, it's a gamble. It will take time to get a mob out here. If the darkness comes first, we're all right. Oh, look at Beta. It's cut in half. Half of it is black. Yes, it's getting darker. An interesting phenomenon. Oh, my, my collar is suddenly tight. Are you having any difficulty in breathing? No, no, why? Difficulty in breathing is one of the first mm. symptoms. We have experimented. I'm, I'm cold. Seems to be getting colder. Yes, so we'd better keep our minds on something else. One of the 
Astronomers has a theory about the stars, far away to see in the light. He developed a fantasy about a planet revolving around one sun. <laughs> it's a mathematical possibility. Of course, there couldn't be any life. Part of the planet would always be dark and without light. Well, it's, it's obvious. Without light, there can't be any life. It's time for the artificial light. We can't read the instruments. Artificial light? One of the researchers at the university worked it out. But it's beautiful. Yellow light. After four hours of red. It's beautiful. Light. Light. The dome is quiet. The priest in his yellow robe sways slowly as his lips move in the ancient tongue. Over and over, he whispers the invocation to the stars. The technicians hunch over the instruments, and the sky gradually turns a horrible deep purple red, and the air grows denser. Dusk, like a palpable entity, enters the room, and the dancing circle of yellow light about the torches etches itself into ever-sharper distinction against the ever-gathering grayness beyond. Outside, Beta is a mere smoldering splendor, taking a last look at the world. The western horizon, in the direction of the city, is lost in darkness, and along the highway to the observatory surges a menacing, shadowy mass. Bob, from the city, they're coming. How long till total eclipse? Fifteen minutes. They'll be here in five. We'll hold them off. Come on, Fetterman, downstairs. But, but, but there's, there's no light down there. We have to block the door. Come on. I can't... I can't breathe. I can't go down there. Take a torch. We'll take light with us. Come on. Aiton. Aiton. I'm here. You bar the door? They won't get in. All right now, everybody. One minute till totality. One minute. Just before totality, I'm changing the plate. That will leave one of you for each camera. You know all about times of exposure. Now remember, don't try to look for good shots. And if you feel yourself going, get away from the camera. It's getting dark. Sharon. Sharon, where are you? I can't see you, Sharon. I'm right here. 30 seconds. Ah! Look out, the priest. I can't see him. And the wicked shall perish in the souls of the true believers, shall be transported in glory to the stars. You can see him against the torch. Don't let him get to the telescope. The stars that reach down the heavenly flame, and where it touched the cities of the world, flame to utter destruction. Grab him! You shall not blaspheme! The world must be destroyed by the stars! It must be! Let me go! I'll take care of this. The stars! Five seconds to totality. Four, three, two, one. The sky is black, and through it shine the stars. 30,000 minute suns shine down in a soul-searing splendor. It is more frightening in its awful indifference 
than the bitter wind that shivers across the horrible, cold, bleak world. The stars. The stars. The stars. It's dark. 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 Walls are coming in on me. They're coming in. Light. 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 Darkness. Forever. Light. Forever. And ever. Light. And the walls Light. are breaking in. We did Light. not know. We did not know. We did not know. On the horizon, in the direction of the city, a crimson glow begins growing. A thousand fires strengthen in brightness that is not the glow of the sun. A million fires, as a world mad in the darkness screams in terror for the light. The night has come again. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Nightfall by Isaac Asimov, adapted for radio by Ernest Kinoy. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes, John Larkin, Santos Ortega, Mercer McLeod, Alan Collins, Bob Hastings, and Roy Fant. Your narrator was Floyd Mack. Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. We're about to be treated to that rubber-faced laughter-getter Red Skelton. Now, Red became a regular in 1939 on NBC's Avalon Time, sponsored by Avalon Cigarettes. On October 7th of 41, he premiered his own radio show, the Rally Cigarette Program, developing routines involving a number of recurring characters, including punch-drunk boxer Cauliflower McPug, inebriated Willie Lumplump, and Mean Widow Kid Jr., whose favorite phrase, I doot it, became part of the American lexicon. There was con man San Fernando Red with his pair of cross-eyed seagulls, Gertrude and Heathcliff, and singing cab driver Clem Cadiddlehopper, a country bumpkin with a big heart and a slow wit. Well, let's see who he breathes life into on tonight's show. People who give dinners. Cigarette program starring Red Skelton with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Verna Felton, Pat McGee, and Wonderful Smith, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. It's a pleasure.
pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular comedian and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton. Gentlemen, 903, Rod. Uh, 903, Red. I know yeah. what 903 means. Yeah? What is it? It was the number of the rows up on those seats you gave me for the football game last Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> really up high, huh? Say, wasn't that a USC-UCLA game something, huh? <laughs> they had a referee for a, a duck they used. <laughs> Where were you sitting? <laughs> well, you see, I'm excited. Bob Hope mentioned my name tonight. He didn't throw me. <laughs> huh? I say, where were you sitting? I was up in the broadcasting booth. Uh, one fellow from the Chamber of Commerce was there, and he told the announcer that if, they, if he didn't get on the air and say what a beautiful, sunshiny day it was, he'd stab him with his umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> well, Californians sure are loyal to the weather out here. Yeah, you're not kidding. The, uh, one uh, native Californian uh, sat there, and he saw the football, that wet ball keeps sliding out of the guy's hands. So, <laughs> so he turns to a tourist, and he says, well, sir, it looks like they didn't get all the fat out of that football. No. <laughs> What was the broadcast like, Red? Well, if they, if they broadcasted the way it really uh, should have been broadcast, it would probably sound something like this. Well, sir, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, in the Coliseum in beautiful, sunny California. Yes, sir, a lovely, sunshiny day. Only one cloud in the sky. Starts in San Francisco and follows through to San Diego. <laughs> this is really the land of sunshine. In fact, there's so much sunshine today, they're spreading sawdust around the field to soak it up. <laughs> It looks like the game's going to start. Both teams have just rolled out to the field. Rolled, rather. <laughs> <laughs> the referee's placing the ball. He seems to be having a little trouble with his life raft there. <laughs> and there's the kickoff. Number 35 has it. He's moving back real fast using the Australian crawl. <laughs> He's down on the uh, 45-yard line. Boy, what a splash. What a splash. <laughs> Six players were knocked down by the wave. <laughs> Uh-oh, it looks like a penalty there for un an unnecessary ducking. <laughs> One boy went under, under over there. There's Johnny Weissmiller just dived off of the scoreboard, and he's swimming out to administer uh, first aid. <laughs> we now stand by for station identification. This broadcast was brought to you by the new Raleigh cigarette, the only cigarette that you can smoke underwater while writing letters. <laughs> Sings, Why Was I Born? Why was I born? Why am I living? What do I get? What am I giving? Do I want a thing I daren't hope for? What can I hope for? I wish I knew. Why do I try? 
similarity to persons living, they're bums, so let's face it. <laughs> I always wanted to say that. You know? <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a girl who wanted to make a good impression on her boyfriend. She wanted him to know that she'd be a good wife and a good cook, so she worked 24 hours preparing the meal for him. Once upon a time. This is the story of J. Newton Numskull. <laughs> I want to make a good impression tonight. I think I'll wear my hair parted in the middle. Then again, Mom may be going out tonight and she'll want to wear it. Let's see, where did I put my suit? Oh, yeah, under the rug. Gee, what a nice pressing job. A little baggy where the board for the floor are missing there. Out for a clean shirt. Oh, gee, they're not back from Leah yet. <laughs> I'll just wear one of my tuxedo collars and starch the hair on my chest. Hello, son. Can I come in? Sure, Bob. Just brought over those Esquire magazines there. Going out? Yeah, I got a date for dinner at my girl's. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, you must be. Tell me, have you discovered a new way of sitting down? I know. Why do you ask? You got your pants on backwards. <laughs> well, uh, what's this girl like? Oh, she's different from any girl I've ever met. She doesn't drink, she doesn't stay out at night, and she won't kiss boys. That's too bad. I wonder what she was like when she was living. <laughs> She's very much alive, she is. Well, then you're dead. Uh, stop kidding me. Yeah, I hope I make a good impression on her, folks. Well, what's your name? Jesse McLeod. <laughs> you mean Keith McLeod's daughter? Yeah. Do you know what he does for a living? I think he's a publisher. Jesse said he was a bookmaker. 
Now, look, stupid, you know what kind of bookmaking that is? No, but he sure got them working like horses for him in Hialeah. <laughs> He's one of the biggest small-time gamblers in town. Oh. Why don't you use your head? After all, you're a man with a future. You've got a good job. Yeah, a decoy for dog catcher. <laughs> look, Dad, I promise not to marry her unless she is everything mother is. Well, I was afraid you'd fall into the same trap I did. Yeah. Well, good night, Dad. <laughs> Hey, what's wrong with this door here? It opens the other way. Look, it don't open your way. Oh, yes, it does. No, it don't. Yes, it does. No, it don't. No, it does. Darling. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were jesting. No, I always look that way after a hot bath. Oh. Is <laughs> Jesse here? Yes, come on in. Yeah. I'm Jesse's father. I'm glad to know you and get your hands out of my pocket. <laughs> a nice place you got here. You must be a very busy man. Look at all the telephones you got. Goodness. <laughs> Sit down and make yourself at home. Oh, thank you. Gee, I'm out of cigarettes. You'll find a cigarette machine in the next room. Sorry, it's kind of dark in here. I didn't see that turnstile. <laughs> That's all right. Since you're a guest, you can uh, forget the nickel. Oh, okay. Yeah, hey, I put the money in the machine. Now what do I do? Pull the lever down on the side. Oh. Hey, this is a slot machine. <laughs> so, because you didn't win, eh? Try again. I just had the machine fixed. What was wrong with it? Was it paying off? <laughs> Come on in the living room and make yourself at home. Okay. Here, let me check your hat. Oh, that's not a hat. That's a crease in my head fools everybody. <laughs> Tell me, uh, do you love my little girl? I guess so. Since I, the last time I saw her, I haven't been able to eat. Really? Yeah, she won all my money in a crap game. <laughs> Newton. Oh, hello. Gee, you look beautiful. You well, do. how do you like my new strapless evening gown? You want to borrow my belt? <laughs> <laughs> Say, I'm just curious. Uh, where did you two meet? On a bus. I gave Jesse my seat. Gee, that's hard to believe. Yeah, on the sunset bus today. <laughs> Love at first sight, eh? Yes, I was so excited I sat on an old lady's lap right next to her. But I got right up. <laughs> she was knitting. <laughs> Well, I'll leave you two lovebirds alone. Goodbye. Bye. Well, here we are, all alone. Yeah, all alone. <laughs> Newton, you can kiss me if you like. Oh, gonna play hard to get, huh? Huh? Then I'm gonna kiss you. Oh, no, 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 no. Candle. Uh, no. No, no, 
Will you help me with my biscuits? Oh, did you make them yourself? Uh Uh-huh. You want me to work the dairy while you hook them on? (laughs) I think we can both carry them. Okay, I'll grab this in here. Oh, my. I always wondered how I'd look with bowl legs. (laughs) Hey, let's set them on the table over here. Do something about that hole in the floor. <laughs> hey, your face is turning purple. Put your end down. Now slide it across. <laughs> oh, careful. If that ever falls on your feet, it'll crush your toes. <laughs> here, I'll sit over here. Well, look at that. My favorite dish. Breast of Frankfurter with mustard gravy. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take this little one here. Oh, 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 it's hot, it's hot. Well, don't stand there juggling it. Eat it. I dropped it. (laughs) It's a good thing I took a bite out of it. A hole would have gone through the floor and killed the people downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) What are you crying about? What's the matter? Oh, I wanted so much to impress you with my cooking. Well, don't cry. You're cooling my coffee here. Everything is perfect. Could you step back just a little? Your mascara is splattering my shoes. <laughs> Look, I'll eat all your biscuits if that'll make you feel better. Oh, they're wonderful. I think I busted my baby tooth. Oh, will you ever leave me, Newton? I can't. I'm anchored. <laughs> Cigarette Orchestra play the popular Zippity Doo from Walt Disney's picture Song of the South.
29 of Impressing People is entitled The Boss for Dinner. It never fails. As sure as you want to impress someone, everything goes wrong. And if Junior, the mean widow kid, is around, you'll get more than your share of embarrassment. Junior, where are you? Upstairs, putting on me Sunday suit. You come down here this minute. Okay, I'll slide down the banister. Junior, don't slide down the banister. I just whacked it. It's too late, kiddo. Open the window, open the window. (laughs) Open your door. I'm hurt, I'm hurt. <laughs> Look, you tore your pants. Oh, it looked like the bottom fell out of everything, doesn't it? <laughs> Did you wash like I told you to? Yes, do? ma'am. Good and hard? I say I struck skin. Look, look. <laughs> what are those red marks on your face? That came off the soap wrapper. Junior, you're supposed to take the soap out of the wrapper. Details, details. <laughs> My way, the soap lasts longer. Say, who's coming to you so fussy today? Hmm? Mr. Boomhauer is coming for dinner. Who he? Mr. Boomhauer is your grandfather's boy. Oh. Well, uh, don't mention anything about him that has been said in the house. Oh. We must make a good impression. Yeah, I'll make a good impression on him. Where's me baseball bat? <laughs> now, Junior, <laughs> you don't mean that. You're kidding. <laughs> you just keep laughing, kiddo. <laughs> boy, I'll, you wait till you see him walking around with a lump on his head so big, look like somebody looking over his shoulder. <laughs> you find out, boy. Now, 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 that's enough. Silly talk. Uh, and another thing. What's that? No panhandling. Uh, if you ever mention anything about your starving piggy bank, you'll get it good. Uh, oh, oh, and before I forget, yeah? we've hired a servant for tonight, but we're to pretend that he's been here all the time. Is that who that man is setting the table? Yes. Hey, I better take that sign off his back. What sign? Don't miss the Jolson story. <laughs> hey, what you making? What you making? Bandages for our guests. Who's coming, midgets? Goodness. But my mouse would need glasses to find them little things, you know. Those are hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres? Where'd you get the recipe? From Reader's Digest? <laughs> Goodness, the name's bigger than the sandwiches, ain't it? Would you like to try one? I don't know. They ain't any good. Why are you making such a face? Don't you like it? Well, the crackers are okay. What's this mess on top? <laughs> There's so much to do before they all get here. Hey, you better hide that bottle of Gramps medicine set in there. You better, you know, he, why he take that stuff anyhow? Well, he only uses it as a pick-me-up. As a pick-me-up, yes. huh? Too bad it works the opposite on him, <laughs> anyway. That reminds me. I haven't put any in the punch yet. Oh, he's going to pull himself up. Pardon me, ma'am, but why is the little boy's chair? Why, it's the one in the corner with the straps on it. Yeah, and don't forget to plug in the cord, <laughs> your silverware. You do have some uh, without the hotel names on it, don't you? I'll get it for you. Oh, there's so much to do. I haven't mixed the punch and... Oh, well, I'll pour it in the bowl later. <laughs> pour it, oh, Grandma. I'm going to help her. I'm going to pour the medicine in the bowl for it. Uh, yeah, maybe they won't be tired and need a good pick-me-up. I just poured a whole bottle over there. Yeah. I'll get it, Grandma. Somebody's at the door. Somebody's at the door. We have a new victim. We have a new victim. I'll use your knuckles and stop running the poor light bill. Yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming. 
Hello, Grandpa. Who's this charming gentleman with you? What's the matter, Grandpa? I think we've got the wrong house. No, no, it's not nice. Yeah? It's Grandpa. Watch me 
dog. Where's my dog? He's got legs that size. Where's my dog? Uh, what's the matter, Mr. Boomhauer? Well, I've suddenly lost my appetite. Well, he'll find it when I find my dog. I'm not going to eat that. Yeah, now you see what you've done. You've ruined our beautiful dinner. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't think he would really believe it was me puppy dog. Junior, I think you'd better leave the room. Okay, i got to find my dog anyhow. I think I'll have some more of that orange punch. Second thought, I'm not showing very good manners. I came here to eat. It's okay to eat, folks. Look, I found my dog. Look, look. Junior, you go right upstairs to bed. What for? I said to bed. Well, Mr. Fowler next door called me, and he I should go see what he wants, you know. Junior! Oh, let the boy see what Mr. Fowler wants, dear. Thank you, Warden. <laughs> Very well. But after that, to bed. <laughs> I don't know why you're so upset. I know you wanted to make my evening an impressive one. Well, you know, it just goes to show how the human mind can be tricked by the power of suggestion. Well, it taught me a lesson. In the future, I'm never going to let anything upset my enjoyment. To show you, I appreciate the trouble you've gone to to prepare this meal. I'll have some rabbit. Well, Junior, what did Mr. Fowler want? Is he through eating? No, but what was the emergency? Mr. Fowler says his cat's been missing for three days. <laughs> Brown and Williamson invite you to other good listening during the week. Listen to People Are Funny with Art Linklater next Friday night and join us again with Red Skelton next Tuesday. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro Golden Mayor. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Bob Hope followed by Philip Marlowe. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.